Would you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5? We'll be reading verses 1 to 8 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 to 8. If you don't have a Bible, there, the scripture will be up on the uh, wall. We read through a text of scripture each week, and this is a worship service, and one of the ways that we worship the only true God is by reading and hearing proclaimed his word, which is eternally true. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you were assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus." Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 1, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, and immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. The church is the body of Christ. It is the bride of Christ. And if a bride came to her wedding and she was filthy and she stank, and a whole bunch of men followed her, who she slept with, and a bunch of children around her knees that she had had by all these men, the bridegroom would not be pleased. The bride is to be pure. The bride is not to bring in a whole bunch of children by a whole bunch of different men. You know, in America today, approximately 28% of children where there's more than one child in the home about 28% of those women have had those children by two and more men. Or to put it a different way, today, about the same number of adults have a college degree as have had children by multiple men. And so today, there's absolutely no sense of purity. The idea that white at a wedding signifies virginity is laughable. And so when it comes to the church, it's impossible for us to even get our minds around the holiness and purity of Christ's bride, which is what the Bible says the church is. And so we come into a text like this, and it's just completely foreign to us. The Apostle Paul is scandalized, and it says that this immorality in that church in Corinth is so notorious, so well-known, He just has to say it. He doesn't have to go into a room and listen to witnesses. It's just known. Everybody knows there's a guy there that's married to his father's wife. It doesn't say married, but the Greek here indicates married. And she's his stepmother. It's probably not his his real mother. And he's married to her. And it's such an awful thing that the pagans hold their noses at it. it. It's something they won't talk about, but here it is in the church, and they're all proud. And as I've been preaching this this morning, we had an earlier service, I was reminded of a woman in our old church when Mary Lee and I and the kids were up in Wisconsin. I had two churches. I'd preach at one in the morning early and one at 11. And and, and I'd drive back and forth between the two churches. Well, there was an older woman in her 80s who was a bag lady, a country bag lady, who would come to one or the other church. And you never knew which church she was going to show up at. 
And if you went to her house, she had 78,533 cats. And she had boxes in the yard. And I had heard that she would cut her grass in the nude, but I thought, you know, people don't like bag ladies, and that's probably fake. But it, it, it wasn't fake. Anyhow. And when I'd get out of my car on Sunday morning, if she was at the country church and was in the sanctuary sitting there, and the doors were shut, and I was way over in the parking lot at my car, when I got out of my car, I knew she was there because she stank. Now, you might think it's dishonoring to this woman to speak of her this way. Well, it's just a fact of life. Everybody that went to that church or the other church knew when Norma came, it was just this overwhelming smell. She had no family member that cared about her enough to make sure she was cleanly, and so everybody just, you just had to live with it, and after a couple minutes, you just didn't smell it anymore, right? So now imagine the impurity of a man sleeping with and married to his father's wife. An impurity so awful that the Gentiles turn their faces away and hold their noses. They can't abide it. And there it is in the church, and everybody's just Sunday best, just smiling, singing God's praises, listening to the word. They're arrogant. They're proud. And here is this stench to high heaven in their midst. That was the church of Corinth. And the apostle Paul is like, How can you do this? Do you not know that the honor of Jesus Christ is at stake? Do you not know that you're leading this man to hell? Because you don't confront him, he thinks he's fine with God, and you're all confirming the lie. Do you not know that his poison is spreading, that it's corrupting everybody in the church, because a little leaven spoils the whole lump of dough? And they're all proud. And that's the church in America today. We're oh so proud. And we don't smell nothing. I don't know much the matter with you. I remember one time I was at a men's Bible study up in Wisconsin. We meet every week in the morning for Bible study. And the question of sexual immorality in our eyes came up. And I said, well, men, what do you do when you're at a basketball game and and the cheerleaders are jumping up and their skirts are going up in the air. And I remember one of the men there that we all loved each other, and he looked at me and he said, basically, what kind of a pervert are you? So here this guy is in the middle of the church, and they're all proud. They don't know what kind of a pervert you are thinking there's something wrong with this. After all, he prayed the sinner's prayer. He was baptized. He was circumcised. He was a member of the church. Who knows, you know? (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with you, Paul. Get your mind out of the gutter. We're all seated in the heavenlies. We're all righteous. We're all covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. So let's sin that grace may abound. Let's do a sin that's so awful the Gentiles can't bear to look at it. And this is the condition of that church. It's actually reported that there's immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles, that somebody has his father's wife. Stinks to high heaven. Gentiles can't even bear to look at it. But the Christians, they're all chipper. You know, they're all sitting there, they're singing, they're praising God, reading the scripture, having their potlucks, having the Lord's Supper, baptizing. No problem here, we're seated in the heavenlies. Apostle Paul says, you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead. Imagine the bridegroom. He's prepared for her to be in white. He's prepared for her to be washed. He's prepared for her to be his. And she comes in. She's trailing all these kids and all these men holding their children's hands. And and she hasn't washed in 10 months. And she stinks to high heaven. And all her family's on both sides and All our family's on eight sides. Who knows how many men there are? They're all there, and they don't know what's wrong with him. Get your mind out of the gutter. But he he just just can't abide it. You know, who's going to have her? What night? You know, this article I was reading, you know, they talk about 
and they, they try to be clinical and non-judgmental. So they talk about the difficulty of having multiple fathers of multiple children in a home. You know, which child is supposed to be supported by which man at what moment? Which part of the car, which car seat is, is this one supposed to buy? And, and when she goes to bed, which one tonight? And this is the church today. Which idol will it be today? You know, which sexual immorality will we overlook now? Which person am I supposed to look at and not think of what their life is? Not, not accidentally at my town church when we got there, immediately it was apparent that two couples at the center of the church, one the husband of one, the wife of the other, were committing a daughter. It was just so evident. You, you, you kind of had to be blind, deaf, and dumb not to see it. You know the way they touched each other? And everybody in the church is just, monkeys, see no evil, hear no evil, do no evil. You know, didn't know what was wrong with them. To this day, some of the children of those two families, are, 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 their faith is shipwrecked. They have no faith. And everybody in those churches thought everything was fine. And this is the church of Corinth. This is the church of America today. No matter what thing it is that the bride has committed, no matter what filthiness she has, the church in America learns how to tolerate that one. The church is supposed to be pure because the reputation of Jesus Christ is at stake with the church. We are his bride. He's bought us with his own blood. And we're busy over here with that little tool they have in iPhoto. You know, the the eraser thing. You know, you take somebody's face you don't like and you just go... And pretty soon there's no face. There's just like shades, you know, or you have an edge that you want to cut off. Say somebody is not in the family, and it's a family photo, and somebody like snuck in. So you take that little eraser, you know, and you just sort of muddy them up. You know what I'm talking about, that little eraser thing when you edit a photo? You know what I'm talking about? And the church is just working like the dickens with that eraser just trying as best she can to make it as if she is a good bride, you know? And she's been working for decades now. And she's just scrubbing. You know, it started with fornication. Let's just talk sexual. It started with fornication. The pastor's children, the elder's children, were sexually immoral with each other. And the church just started scrubbing away. You know, just muddy it up. Monkey, see no evil, hear no evil. I, 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 what? Get your mind out of the gutter. You, no. You know, no discipline, no recognition, no rebuke, no admonition. It just doesn't matter. You know, scrub it away, scrub it away. And then it moved over to what? To adultery. Where you had men having lunch with women alone, a man and a woman. They're not married to him. They have a family. They have a wife. The woman has a family, and and she has a husband. They have children, but they go ahead and have lunch together. And then pretty soon the man's over at her house, and he's doing uh, her, her, her storm windows, you know? He's changing her storm windows. You know, her husband's off on a business trip, or she's, she's single. He's changing her storm windows, right? And you say, what's that about? All the neighbors know what it's about, but you're a Christian, so you go, what's that about? And all the other Christians say, get your mind out of the gutter. You can't go jumping to conclusion. Then he goes inside, and he's in there for a couple of hours with her, but they're just having tea. <laughs> you know? And the whole church, his, his wife is crying at home. His children are covered with shame, and the church is Monkey, see no evil, hear no evil. Pastors and elders, monkey, see no evil, hear no evil. You know, the bride's filthy. The wife is crying. The children are absolutely destroyed. And everybody's like, 
you know, scrubbing the thing, you know. I don't see nothing. Do you see nothing? I don't see nothing. Victorious Christian life, seated in the heavenlies. And they were arrogant. And so you start with fornication, you move over to adultery. He's committing adultery, but everybody acts like they don't know. And then it's divorce and remarriage. Again and again, what I hear from people is a man leaves his wife and children and then shows up in church with another woman, and it's entirely fine. And I have a head nodding. A bunch of you. How many of you have heard these stories? Hold up your hands. Look around, people. Look look around. (laughs) It's unbelievable. And now, where are we? Well, remember, I said, I'm just going to deal with sex. And I've left one out. The Bible says Adam was created first, then Eve. And this means that men are to bear authority. Oh, we got the eraser. We're just, oh, wow. Forget that one. We've been reading the accounts of whether or not what's-her-face is going to vow to obey. What's his name? Who are they? Prince Williams and who? Kate? Uh. Fornication, adultery, divorce and remarriage, Adam first, then Eve. And now we're at homosexuality. And I'm just, now I'm being facetious, all right? This is sarcasm, this is irony, right? I'm just shocked. I'm absolutely shocked that InterVarsity this week had somebody speaking that promoted homosexuality. He was a gay Christian. I'm Christian. I'm gay. I'm gay. I'm Christian. And then he talked about being oppressed by the church. Now listen, come on. Think about it. You got fornication here. Then you got adultery, and then you have divorce and remarriage, and then you have Adam first and then Eve, and, and then you have male and male, female and female. It's inexorable. It's, 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 it's as predictable as the op-ed pages of the New York Times. Okay? If you are a rebel against God, your rebellion is of a fabric. And inexorably, you will be moved from point to point to point to point until what? Margaret Mead said it. Margaret Mead, the anthropologist pagan. She said, when the Kinsey report was released back in the 40s, she said, we will come to the day when people don't know why they should have sex with people instead of animals. And we look at that, we say, well, bestiality, no, no, no. Well, I can tell you 20 years ago in the LA Times, Hugh Hefner was talking about how fine sex with animals was. And then it will be lowering the age of consent for children in a home so that children can choose to have sex when they're 13 in some parts of Europe now. 12. And, and how is it going on with homosexuality? Well, we're all sophisticated, and we know we have to take down the boundaries in a way that we can have deniability. Do you understand this? We always have to be able to deny what we're doing. And so the way it's done is you make a distinction between orientation and act. And what you do is you say the fact that the man looks like a woman, acts like a woman, dresses like a woman, talks like a woman, gestures like a woman, has no bearing on his moral content of his heart. None. It's simply his orientation. And having established the legitimacy of a man in every way trampling upon the identity God has given him, there's nothing wrong with that. Then when he occasionally gets his flame on, 
it's simply inexorable. <laughs> it's something that goes with all this stuff you said didn't matter. How are you going to cultivate being a woman without acting like a woman, a woman with other men? Do you understand? God calls us to be men and women. He doesn't call us to, sh- to shut down that diversity and celebrate the diversity of spiders in the jungle, in the rainforest. Why would we celebrate the diversity of the rainforest and then shut down the diversity of man and woman? <laughs> it's just hypocritical. It's so stupid. Here's an idea. If God made us men and women, how about we celebrate that diversity? You know, how about we celebrate the fact that he made it for marriage and we don't let people that aren't married have babies? Or we shame them if they do. And you say, oh no, you can't do that because then you'll make them have abortions. And I say, well, we are caught in a rough place, aren't we? Where we have to choose either to say no to abortions or, you know, fornication and there's a baby, a pregnancy, and it's either abortion or unwed father and mother, and it's like, it's a hard place to stand. How about we again go back to the Garden of Eden prior to the fall, and we say, sex is for a lifelong union between one man and one woman, and the man is the leader. Could we do that? Could we do that in the church? Would that be possible? Papa. (laughs) my granddaughter. (laughs) Bree. Heart speaks to heart. Why, Why don't we do that? You know why? Because we're more committed to that eraser than we are to Jesus Christ. That's why. Because every one of us loves our lust. And once we decide to give in our lust, why shouldn't a homosexual man give in to his lust? I used to say in the PCUSA, my former denomination, that look, if, if conservative Christians have normalized fornication of the elders and pastors' children, tell me one good reason that the liberals shouldn't normalize homosexual relations. Can you give me one good reason why? We shouldn't all have our sin of choice. There's no difference between accepting fornication and accepting homosexuality. The parallel is absolute. Guy guy over here, I don't know what I just did, but it hurt. Oh man, I'm getting old. Gonna die. boy and the girl over here touch each other in public that everybody in the church knows they touch each other in private. Right? Right? Can we be honest about this? The man over here dresses in such a way and acts in such a way and talks in such a way and and, and broadcasts his aesthetic in such a way It's absolutely clear what he does in private. If the conservative church can have fornication, adultery, divorce and remarriage, there's absolutely no basis for us opposing homosexuality. None. We're hypocrites, and the liberals should have their their sin of choice just like we have ours. And may I remind you that we have a whole bunch of them. And we get on our high horse and we're just so scandalized by homosexuality. But we've already done what? Well, we've already shut down fornication. We've already shut down adultery. We've already shut down divorce and remarriage. God says he hates divorce. We've shut down divorce and remarriage. We've shut down Adam being created first, and then Eve. We've shut down having children from the marriage bed. 
You know, we contracept ourselves to sterility. And then (laughs) we think, well, that's a shocker. Homosexuality is next. It's just crazy. Of course homosexuality is next. And next will come age of consent, and next will come bestiality. And of course, behind the sexual sins are greed, lovelessness, rebellion in the home, idolatry. What do you think all the images are in evangelical churches today? All these pictures. You know, do you really think they're not idols? Have you ever felt the potency of a little man standing behind a podium? All of a sudden, on the wall, there's a huge man. (laughs) You know, I can't wait until I speak at a conference where they do that to me. I've just been waiting my life to become an icon. And if you think I'm kidding, you bet I'm not. I just would love to be an icon, to have my name known, to have my picture on the wall, to have it in all the magazines, because I'm fairly handsome even at this age. Clint Clint Mahoney says I'm not, but I think I am. (laughs) I said that recently, and Clint wrote me and said, not so much the handsome part. (laughs) But you'd kiss me, wouldn't you? (laughs) well Annie Lane used to tell me I was handsome (laughs) you have become arrogant and have not mourned so that the one who did this deed would be removed from your midst In verse 6, you're boasting. Your boasting is not good. Some of you have been in this church quite a while, long enough to know that our giving to overseas missions has gone down as the years have gone by. You know why? The main reason is that we are convinced that as we export missionaries to other countries, what we're really doing is exporting the sins of the United States of America. And so more and more, what we're doing is we're taking the money of the people of God and we're using it to train men and women here to be holy and to live by faith and to guard the purity of the church and to love sinners, consequently to protect them from attack of Satan. And then those people were sending out to plant churches so that again, as we plant churches led by shepherds who are faithful, who are not shepherds who are up there with this eraser trying to blur everything, trying to hide themselves in their rooms with their books, So that there are shepherds who will go out from here and plant churches and then under their ministry, a whole new generation of missionaries will come up. But we think even that next generation is going to have to give themselves to the Church of America. Because the Church of America is a scandal. It's filthy. It bears no resemblance to the character of Jesus Christ, her Lord. And then... As this work gets done, men and women again will go out, but now they'll go out not to export the sin of America, but to carry the name and the baptism in the church of Jesus Christ, to proclaim the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we can have missionaries. I've spent hours this past week working with the elders of this church to call missionaries back to Scripture. (coughs) And yet in our name, they're going around doing things that are contrary 
They're living in ways that are contrary to Scripture. Those of you that are evangelicals from way back, I'll bet you've, many of you have never heard of the discipline of a missionary. It's just a completely foreign concept. What? Disciplining missionaries? Why? They've given up their families and their homes, and they've gone overseas for Jesus, and you think that they have sin? <coughs> yeah. I think I have sin. I think our elders have sin. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. <coughs> Wait, I might have something here. Yeah, I do. <coughs> Somehow, some... I hate to open these, though, because now I'll drink... Now listen, some of you are not believers and you're here this morning and you think, well, this is just a rant against homosexuality. And that's not what it is. So let me bring you back to Scripture and show you where I'm coming from, from the Bible, okay? Look at, look at verse uh, 6. So you know what the Apostle Paul's dealing with. He's dealing with a church that's filthy because there's incest going on and it's myths they are all proud. So he works his way down. He's saying, this is what you need to do. This is what you should have done. You shouldn't have been proud. And then verse 6, he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Now, leaven in Scripture stands generally for sin. And so when you, when you take a, 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 what do we call it, a bunch of dough? What's it called? A lump, a lump of dough. When you take a lump of dough and you put a little bit of uh, yeast in it, leaven, right? What happens? <laughs> you let it sit there for a while, and, and it rises, right? That leaven goes through the whole lump of dough and corrupts it, but we like that corruption. So leaven in Scripture stands for sin, and what he's saying is, don't you know that a little leaven corrupts the whole loaf? Don't you know that a little sin in the church corrupts the whole church, okay? And then he says this, Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. In other words, get rid of the sin so that you can be a pure body. Are you with me? That's what he's saying. Just as you are, in fact, unleavened, and this is always the tension between the already and the not yet in the Christian life, we're already pure, seated in the heavenlies, holy, but we're not pure, not seated in the heavenlies, not holy. So he's saying, look, you're unleavened, be unleavened. This is always the theme of Scripture. You're unleavened. You're holy. You're pure. Be unleavened. Be holy. Be pure. Right? Does that make sense to you? And then he says, therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. <laughs> Wait. I skipped the main thing. Clean out the old leaven, verse 7, so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened for Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Now listen, those of you who aren't Christians, let me explain this to you. In the Old Testament, the Jews, the Israelites, were in Egypt in bondage as slaves. They were terribly oppressed. They cried out to God. God heard them, and God decided to break the bonds of the oppressor. So God sent Moses down to Egypt to tell Pharaoh, the president of Egypt, to let his people go. And Pharaoh wouldn't do it. And so they'd send a plague on him. You know, they'd send, you know, all their water turned to blood. Who wants to drink blood, right? And so Pharaoh would say, all right, all right, all right, I'll let your people go. And then the blood would turn to water and he'd say, I'm not going to let your people. And it went on and on and on kept doing a plague. Pharaoh kept saying, all right, I'll let him go. And then they'd make everything all right. And, you know, they, no, I'm not going to let. And then finally, finally, God, God said to the Israelites, look, all of you take a lamb. Don't you dare give me a lamb with a gammy leg. Don't you dare give me a lamb that's got a bad pedigree, a bad head, a bad, don't you give me a lamb that has any defects. You don't give me your lousy lambs. You take a lamb that's perfect. And I want you to kill that lamb, and I want you to take the blood of that lamb, and I want you 
to mark the door of your house with that lamb's blood. Because I'm weird, what I'd like to do now is just, I won't. But that's what I'd like to do. Whop! And this blood from the Lamb of God, it goes all over you. Do you understand this? Uh, I really want to do it, but I won't. And so all the Israelites that believed that God's word was true, they took a perfect lamb and they killed it at God's command. Don't you ever think veganism is spiritual. It's a direct denial of the truth of God. They killed that lamb. And they took that lamb's blood and they put it over their doors. And that night God sent his angel of death. His angel of death, not his angel of chaos. His angel of death. And that angel went through all Egypt and every home that did not have the lamb's blood on the door. Their oldest son was killed by God. And every home that had the blood of the lamb, those children belonged to God and he saved them. And from then on, the Israelites celebrated the Passover because he passed over the homes that had the covering of the blood. And so they celebrated every year, big festival. That's the night that our children would have been dead if we hadn't had blood over our doors. And it was a huge celebration. Huge. And one of the parts of the celebration is that they got all leaven out of their house. They spent days making sure there was no leaven in their house. Why? Because their house was under the blood of holy God. And there was not to be any leaven. And you say, well, come on, leaven isn't sin. And I say, it stood for sin. They took seriously the command God said. God said, get the leaven out of your house. So they went around. And they'd examine. It was ceremonial because, of course, long before they came around looking, they'd gotten rid of it, you know. There was no leaven in the house. And now they're ready to celebrate the Passover. So century after century, the Jews had this festival. And they got the leaven out of the house. They cleaned the leaven out of the house. And then they celebrated the Passover. They ate the lamb. And they remembered the blood. And then Isaiah 53 was written. And in Isaiah 53, what did it say? It said, like a lamb before its shears was silent, so he opened not his mouth. And so the prophecy of the coming Messiah was the Lamb of God. And then when God sent his son down through Mary, and that son grew up to begin his public ministry, the first thing that happened is he went to be baptized by John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist saw him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then Jesus, right before he was crucified, he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. And he said to them, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you shall have no part in me. This blood is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. And then everybody said, oh, now I understand the sacrifice of the animal in the Garden of Eden to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Now I understand the Passover in Egypt and the, and the blood on the lentils. Now I understand all the sacrifices and the riot of blood that's at the center of the religious worship of the Israelites. Now I understand the Passover and getting rid of the leaven in the house and then eating the lamb. Now I understand Isaiah 53, the Lamb of God. Now I understand John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now I hear Jesus saying, And Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you shall have no part in me. Now I understand that the night before his crucifixion, he said to his disciples, this covenant, this this wine, this bread is the new covenant in my blood. All of you eat of it. All of you drink of it. And then he went up on the cross. He He poured his blood out. 
And then you remember, Philip is told to run out into the desert because there's a dude out there, a eunuch. And he needs you. So Philip goes out into the desert. He runs across this wealthy Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch is reading, where? Where would a God-fearer read? I've done something to my foot. Here's what he was reading. Philip ran and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. Listen, people. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is dumb, silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who will relate his generation? For his life was removed from the earth. And it says the Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. The Lamb of God. The blood. And then in Hebrews it tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And then we read that when Christ returns in glory, that there's going to be the marriage feast of the goat. No, it's called the marriage feast of the lamb. And will it matter who's seated at the table and what they're dressed in? Will it matter whether or not they're homosexually oriented and gave in and once in a while went out and, and did their flame? Will it matter whether or not they're fornicators? Will it matter whether or not they're adulterers? You bet it will. It says in Scripture, and Scripture cannot be violated, it says that at the marriage feast of the Lamb, if you're not dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ or another place, it says that your clothing will be what? It will be your good works. If you're not dressed in it, you will be cast out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we're busy. And we're proud. And if anybody comes to a church where they say, you stop that, (laughs) you know, Stop it. All right, don't think of Bob Newhart. (laughs) If you go to a church like that, your parents tell you, don't go to that church. We're committed to. That's what it means to be a Christian. How can you have love if you're not going around? And I go, how can you have love? How can you have love if you have a man that wants to have sex with another man and you don't warn him? What audacity to claim to love a man that you're leading to hell, that you're getting rid of any conscience in him, that you're denying he has to repent, you're denying that the marriage feast of the Lamb will be holy, you're denying that God created Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve. And you tell me you love him and I don't? God damn you! And you think, oh, there's no precedent for that. And I say, what do you think Paul means when he says in Galatians, let him be anathema? That's what he's saying. Damn you! If you're going to tell me that a woman killing her unborn child to hide her fornication, or her adultery, or her love of materialism and status, you're going to tell me that I should say that that's just a tragic choice, but sometimes we have to make them. You realize what Mother Teresa, a pagan, well, (laughs) a Roman Catholic, who knows what she was. She was syncretistic, that's for sure. And she said, in every abortion, there are two deaths. The death of the child, the death of the mother's conscience. And we try to go around. You know, abortion is just, it's not serious, you know. It's just, you know. And, 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 And fornications, and adultery, and 
and, and husband's authority and homosexuality and bestiality and age of consent and, and just willy-nilly, willy-nilly, willy-nilly. And the apostle Paul says, listen, people, listen. He says, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened. For what? Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. And so let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven. And what's the leaven? It's not talking about whether the bread is leavened or unleavened. It's talking about whether you're pure, whether I'm pure. It's talking about whether we're coming and trampling on the holiness of God in the name of Jesus Christ, or whether we're here with clean consciences. And so do you have a clean conscience? Or are you a rebel against God? My word to you is, if you're a rebel, God will consume you. I don't care when you were baptized, by whom. I don't care who your grandmother was. I don't care how tattered the pages of your Bible are. It just doesn't matter. You, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you have faith. And faith that tramples the blood of Jesus Christ in excrement is no faith at all. You may not belong to Jesus Christ as your Savior and not accept him as your Lord. You're not saved by goodness. You're saved by his blood. But don't tell me you're saved by Jesus' blood and you trample on his holiness. No, 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 no. Put him out! Put him out. I said at the first service that what I would really like, <laughs> and I'm crazy enough to try it, but I don't think I will, is I'd really like to have on this side, the right side, <laughs> my left though, I would like to have everybody who is not a member in good standing of the church of Jesus Christ. Everyone. I don't care what you say about yourself, if you're not a member in good standing of the church of Jesus Christ, you're here. And then all those who are members in good standing of the church of Jesus Christ over here. You know? So that here we would have a a division. And so that over here we would have those who belong to Jesus Christ and who are day by day being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. By the renewing of your mind. Be not conformed, but be transformed. And then over here are those who are seekers, God-fearers, haven't been circumcised, haven't been baptized, been baptized, but never submitted to Jesus Christ. No part of a church, just, just external religion or no religion. That's what I'd really like over here is all those who don't make any claim to being followers of Jesus Christ, but they fear God and they want to know more. And they're over here. And, and then I don't have to judge any of you. You know? You're fine. You come, I'm proud of you. Because you're sitting here. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a whole bunch of people sitting here? And then, when there's someone sitting over here who has his father's wife, here's what we do, right? This is what we do. I love you, dear brother. I love you. Come with me. And I would just bring him right over here, and I would have him sit. And I would say, I give you to Satan for the purification of your flesh, so that in the day of the Lord you may be saved. And he'd cry. And he would say, thank God that you warned me. And then in the middle would be a door. And because the Bible says that God gives the officers of his church keys, I would take this key and I would lock it 
against him. Do you understand? And then Satan would torment him. And we'd watch and we'd pray. And then we know from 2 Corinthians, this man who was expelled, we know from 2 Corinthians almost certainly he did repent. And then, ching, the officers of Christ's church, they come in, come on, come on. And then, and as he comes, what happens in the church? Come on, do it. Come on, what happens? It says that in heaven, the angels rejoice when one sinner comes home. And his soul is saved. That's the church. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what you want. That's what your parents want. They don't know it. So you have to go home and explain it to them. Good luck. (laughs) Actually, if they're pagans, they'll understand. If they're evangelicals, never in a million years. They'll think you're a stench when you really smell good. This last week, and I'll end with this. This last week, I'm working with InterVarsity because my parents helped start InterVarsity. They were the first staff workers in New England. They had all of New England, my mom and dad, back in the 40s. My dad was on the board for 25 years publisher of Ivy Press, editor of his magazine. That's my heritage. And so I'm talking to the leaders, saying to them, do you know here you had the promotion of homosexuality in the name of Jesus Christ? You need to do something about it. So I was talking to this 30, 35-year veteran of InterVarsity, leader nationally. And he said, you know, Tim, I just don't think that I can do anything connected with your name. Isn't there some other record of this other than your blog and, and, and the man that goes to your church? I mean, really, you, you're just, a, you really stink to us. And he took five to ten minutes saying that to me. I mean, he just was all apologetic, but he just tell, told, kept telling me how much I stink. And I kept trying to sort of, you know, not take it personally. <laughs> Which, if you think about it, it's pretty funny. <laughs> Do you know that when D. Wayne got up and and spoke against this, do you know what they said to him? You must be from Church of the Good Shepherd. See, it worked. They don't know our real name. (laughs) For those of you that are new, we just changed our name. And people here refer to this as the serious church. And one of our concerns was that people wouldn't realize it's the same church. So all of you tell people, Church of the Good Shepherd, Clear Note Church, same church, right? So I'm sure Dwayne immediately said, oh, actually, it's Clear Note. But you're right, it's our church. And so after listening to this man for about 10 minutes tell me how much I stank to InterVarsity and he really couldn't mention me, and wasn't there some other source, I said, you know something, dear brother? My father resigned from the board of InterVarsity because he knew this was InterVarsity. And it's gotten worse since then. But you know when he resigned, you know what everybody on the board said to him? They came to him at the drinking fountain afterwards. And they said, thank you so much, Joe, for speaking up. But we just couldn't speak up or we would have lost our jobs. (laughs) The only person to speak up in the board, my dad told me, was a Filipino woman. And she stood with him. I know you're not Filipino, but you know what I'm saying. Thank God for that woman. And so here today, I stink to them. Who should stink? I said to him, you know why I stink? I stink because where where else is anybody saying, there's a stink in here. And so because I say there's a stink in here, I stink. And I said, I'm the only guy who is saying there's a stink. Of course you hate me. And you know what he said? Bless him. He said, you know what? You're right. (laughs) Ding dong. So a lot of you people who are godly stink to your family, to your churches, because you're saying, you know what? Every single one of you dudes needs to start doing as fast as your fingers can do it. Command Z, 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 command Z. You wonder, what's that? And I say, well, in the Macintosh, that's how you undo, 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 undo. 
You know, you ever taken that brush and you like went a little bit too far to the right? Command Z. You know, and pretty soon the picture's just the way God made it. And reality is restored. Because reality is before the fall. Reality is when Adam and Eve. Reality is when Adam before Eve. Reality is when one man, one woman for life. Reality is when they don't have sex until they're married for life. They vowed themselves to each other. Reality is when Adam and Eve were both naked and they were unashamed. (laughs) that's what Christians are all for. We're all for sex. And sex where you can actually have passion instead of talking about it because you haven't trampled on your conscience and you aren't jaded. Don't you ever let anybody tell you that you're a prude. You tell them that you're filled with desire. And that you're potent. And that you don't need Viagra. (laughs) Because why? Because we're holy. And those who are holy have everything in this life their hearts could desire. And the marriage feast of the Lamb. And when they're at the marriage feast of the Lamb, they're dressed in good works, which are the clothing of the saints. And it's hard work, and it's painful, eh? (laughs) Is it painful? Come on, you spoke up before. Is it painful? Say yes. Thank you. Can I have a yes? How many of you have been pained this week by sanctification, that that unknown doctrine of the evangelical church. How many of you have gone through pain as God made you holy this week? If your hand isn't up, you're a liar. Beth Ann, I guarantee you, you had pain this week because of sanctification. Guarantee it. Your parents need to help you see it. (laughs) Because you are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We see it. All right. So now we come to the table. Right? And as we come, what is true? We're supposed to keep the feast unleavened as we are through his blood. This is, come on up, elders, if you would, please, sir. This is his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. And this is his body broken for us. And he says to us what? He says, drink it, eat it, and he says, if you won't, you will have no part of me. This meal. And so I invite all of you to this table. All of you who are washed in the blood of Jesus, and you say, well, how do I get washed in the blood of Jesus? And I say, here's what you do. You look at your life. You see your rebellion against your husband, against your parents. You see your sexual impurity. You see your drug use. You see your cheating at school. You see your greed. You see your gossip. And you say, God, would you show that to me better? I don't see it well enough yet. So you come to preaching because then you'll see it better. Everybody sees it better today, right? Okay. And then you say, God, would you please, would you please show me my sin because I don't hate it yet. And then you come back to preaching and pretty soon in, in, in God's word as you read it, you see so well, so well how much you want the world's approval and how little God's approval means to you. And you say, God, it's beginning to happen. I'm beginning to hate my sin. And then the Holy Spirit says to you, you're hopeless. Come to Jesus. And you go, oh no, I'm hopeless. How could this happen? How could I have done this to myself? I remember when I was a little boy 
And I hadn't done any of the, God, would you please restore me when I was a little boy? And you look at the little children in your house and you say, God, would you please give me back their innocence? Would you please give it back to me? And God says, they're not innocent. And you say, well, the burden, it's, it's unbearable. And God says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And you say, well, I'm not weary and heavy laden. I, God says, I didn't come for the righteous. Don't worry. This isn't for you. But those of you who are weary and heavy laden, those of you who are sinners, come, and I'll never cast you out. And so as you sit under the preaching of the word, what happens is you begin to be aware of your sin, and you begin to be aware that you want the world's approval, but you don't give a rip about God. And then pretty soon as you pray and sit under the preaching of the word, your conscience is awakened. And you begin to hate your sin, and you begin to walk bowed down with the weight of your sin. And pretty soon, you're desperate when you go to God. You say, God, save me. And that little statement made by the thief on the cross, Jesus' response to him was, this day you will be with me in paradise. And the minute that happens, you go to the elders of this church because they own the sacraments, which are the marks of you as a Christian. You say, I have confessed my sin. I have given myself to Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because I know it's the power of God to save everyone who believes. I believe. And they say, quick, let's bring the horse tank. And we'll get the horse tank out and we'll fill it up with water and we'll boom you. And you'll be washed, not with water. You'll be marked with the sign of God's agreement with you that you're now in Jesus Christ. And then guess what? The first privilege you have is what? The table of our Lord. Then you get to be at the family meal. And you get to hope for the family meal in heaven. That's it. That's to be a Christian. And then they'll discipline you. I didn't mention that part. But you're in the family of God now and so you get disciplined. It's one of the privileges of being a Christian don't ever go to a home where they don't give you your privileges. I mean, my goodness, if you paid a health club and they didn't let you play on the basketball court, that would be awful. <laughs> you know, if you pay the money, them that pays the dues should have the privileges. And so you have the privilege of being disciplined. And then day by day, you become more like Jesus and you say, I'm so happy I have elders. Do you know that there are three elders' wives in this church who cry Every now and then, when these men come up front and serve the church, do you know why they cry? I thought it was one wife and everybody else told the story, but my wife tells me I'm wrong. She says that you and, no, you told me I'm wrong. Anyhow, she says that you and Ann Wegner and my wife, all of you, have the same reaction to seeing these men up front. <laughs> and they're their wives. And they love them. Why? Because they're under authority. And they, God has so changed them that this old feminist with a nose ring. <laughs> I mean, you're not old. I just meant. <laughs> I just meant a long time ago. But not that long ago. At Westmont College, she was the feminist. Pierced her nose. Oh, yeah. And now she cries when these men come up front. Because why? Because they discipline her. Them that pays their dues should get the privileges. And then day by day, what happens? Tell me, you will become holy. You'll become all those stains, all the wrinkles in your clothing, all the, everything will become holy. And those who refuse, eventually, it'll take probably 10 years, right? That's about how long it takes for somebody to get excommunicated here, right? <laughs> Maybe eight. But eventually, if you refuse to conform yourself to the image of Jesus Christ and submit to him, they will put you out. They will turn the key, and you will be over there, right? But then you'll come back. There are people here today who have come back. All right. So here's the deal. This is a meal for Christians who have been baptized and who are members in good standing of an evangelical church, a Bible-believing church. I bet probably should not say evangelical anymore. A Bible-believing church where God is honored, all right? 
If that's true of you, it doesn't have to be this church. It just has to be some Bible-believing church. We, I, in their behalf, invite you to this table. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this meal where you have promised to give us good gifts. As we come to this table, Father, will you please work in our hearts so that more and more as we eat and drink, we desire holiness. More and more, Father, will you help us to keep this feast, having turned from the leaven and having become unleavened as we truly are. Help us to honor Jesus Christ as a church. Give us courage to stand up for sinners who are in danger, we pray. And may we be united as one body as we eat and drink together, we pray. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.